1: Slate Money is brought to you by Goldman Sachs. Get information about developments currently shaping markets, industries, and the global economy on the firm's podcast, Exchanges at Goldman Sachs, available on iTunes. And by Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Casper mattresses come with free delivery and returns within a 100-day period. And get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash SlateMoney and using the promo code SlateMoney. And by Citrix GoToWebinar. With GoToWebinar, you can create interactive online events to engage and capture your audience's attention. Find out more at GoToWebinar.com. The following podcast contains
2: explicit language. Hello! And welcome to the Force is with Janet Yellen edition of Slate Money, your guide to the business and finance and cinema news of the week. Indeed. I am Felix Salmon of Fusion. I am joined, as always, by Kathy O'Neill, the data scientist and blogger at mathbabe.org. I am so
0: glad to be here. uh
2: This is basically the Felix and Kathy show. Yes, we it are is. joined by the. Sh- by the hollow husk of Jordan Weissman.
1: The hollow husk of Jordan Weissman is uh, presently recovering from Slate's holiday party, uh, but will do his best to <laughs> participate. His, his, his voice is
0: like an octave lower than usual.
1: Well, you know, uh, I've got
2: a sexy growl going this morning. Come on. And <laughs> Jordan, if he is still alive by the end of the show, is going to talk about the meltdown in the junk bond market, which is kind of fascinating. Um, and finally... It's been, you know, a good couple of years. Well, how long has this show been going? About a year and a half? It's certainly more
0: than a year. it a, a year and a half.
2: It's been over a year and we've been pushing off and pushing off and pushing off talk of like interest rate hikes because we were just waiting for it to happen. And it has happened. So now we get to talk about Yay. interest rate hikes. Uh, but first, we have to do this because otherwise Kathy said that she would quit.
0: And cry very much.
2: And cry very much. And you don't want to see Kathy when no, she cries. No, sad. Kathy, what is the single most important news event of the past 50 years?
0: 50 years. Okay, well, I'm not... Okay, no, I will go that far. God damn it. Uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens opens this week. It's already opened, actually. Have you seen it? I have not. So there's no spoilers on this show.
2: This is a spoiler-free show. It's, it's like the seventh episode of this Movie. Yeah, that's if
0: you don't count the animated movie that came out. Okay, so
2: explain to me what is the um, why are we talking about this? Is there a. Is there anyone who doesn't
0: know why we're talking about this? I
2: have no idea why we're talking about this. (laughs) I'm only talking about this because you said you would cry if we didn't talk about this.
0: That's true. Well, look, it's just an excuse to talk about our favorite. Star Wars characters and who we have a crush on and personally, I vote for Princess Leia. But so you're not
2: even going to pretend to come No, okay, okay, okay. Listen, listen.
0: Away. There's some money. There's money involved. There's money involved.
2: There's money involved. Yes. So, so Disney bought Lucasfilm for $4 billion. Yes, that's yeah. right, in
0: 2012. And the question is, well, how could anything be worth $4.1 billion? How, how do you guys think the, the, how much money do you think this movie's going to make?
1: Uh, what are the projections? Well, the, over time, I, I assume quite a bit more than four point. What well, this franchise over time will. Well, be I mean, when well, you
2: say make, do you mean profits or revenues?
0: Uh, right. Well, let's just talk about revenues first.
2: Well, no one knows what profits are on a movie. Do you so know the, the, <laughs> the highest
0: grossing um
2: movies? Was what well, Avatar, Avatar, made, like and Titanic one point five billion something like that?
0: Um, I think there was actually more like eight hundred million. Oh, okay. So it's not. It's like we have to. We have to see uh, how, you know, we we don't need, actually, most people don't expect this to go past that.
2: So it's going to be a billion-ish in well, box office. Yeah, right
0: it's ways. actually projected to be 750 million. So, so that's is that,
2: worldwide, was is the that 800- worldwide, worldwide?
0: Worldwide altogether. Yeah. 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 Isn't that weird?
2: And then, but then the real money is in the merchandising, Correct.
0: Right? Correct. So I, I did a little um, research on the money aspect. Can we talk about our favorite characters after this?
2: Yes. Okay, I, sure. I like that little roly ball, <laughs> <thing. laughs> ball thing. What? That roly ball thing. What roly ball? Oh, BB-8. What is that? BB-8 is the is the new R2-D2. I can't believe I know this. New well, game. I haven't
0: seen the movie. And I've been very, very carefully avoiding all information. <laughs> Stop with that. No. So, actually, altogether, um, the merchandise for all the Star Wars series altogether has been about $32 billion.
2: Like revenue to date.
0: To date. And that's, yeah, from, from 1977. Including all of
2: those lunchboxes in 1977, right? Yeah,
0: it's the merchandise that is the big... Money, oh, the original, uh, the original Star Wars, inflation adjusted, made one point four billion dollars. So that's just a ton of money. That's like twice as much as we're expecting this new episode to be. So that was huge. Empire Strikes Back was also very, very large. Had seven hundred and eighty million inflation adjusted dollars. So, on so this
2: one, we're. Thinking might not even reach Empire in That's terms right. of box office. We're
0: expecting it to be more like Return of the Jedi, which was seven hundred forty-seven million. Okay, and um, we're hoping that it, and we're definitely hoping it's more than the episodes one, two, and three, which, as everyone knows, came after the episodes four, five, and six. I, I
1: like the we're hoping. It's like you're, you're rooting on. Are well, you,
0: are you rooting I do for think there's now, a correlation between quality and how much people. But see Empire
2: it. was better than the first one, right?
0: I personally think that Empire was the best. So, and it I mean, made half as much. It's a big fight. So it's we not can that have. much
2: of a I'd like to
0: have that fight. Um, you're right. But you know what? Star Wars, the original, even though it wasn't as good a movie as Empire Strikes Back, in my opinion, did set the you know, precedent. Like it was the first of a genre, obviously. So it was new. It got some extra money, I think, because people were like, what the hell is that?
2: Yeah. Okay, so so
0: I just want to make a point though that like episodes one, two, and three made just a ton of money as well. They just didn't make as much. Episode three, which made the least, uh, episode two. Uh, sorry,
2: again, we're not talking about profits. We're talking about grosses. Yeah, yeah
0: but th- this money, this doesn't take that much to make, right? So when they're grossing four hundred twenty-five million, which is what episode two did, the worst of all six of them so far. Um, that's just a lot of profit, even though it's a pretty bad movie. Well, right, because
2: he's not paying actors, right? Yeah. It's all computer-generated random stuff. <laughs>
1: Although, <that laughs> was, let's
0: not even talk I mean, about John Banks, that's shall
2: we? A, the, the
1: computer-generated random stuff is some of the expensive stuff uh, a lot of the time. But, but I mean, I mean it's, it's still cheaper than,
2: like, you know, paying an actor ten million dollars.
1: Yeah, these, these days, you're not necessarily paying the actors ten million dollars for these big uh, kind of uh, yeah. That's my that's films. my point. Yeah, they, well, no, they they've, they've managed for a lot. I don't know if it's the case with the Star Wars franchise, but I know Marvel has uh, done an amazing job essentially paying its, with the exception of Robert Downey Jr., essentially paying its actors nothing, um, telling them that you should be happy, that we're even giving your face this platform. Uh, the guy who plays Thor, uh, Chris Hemsworth, has, a, as far as I understand, just a terrible, terrible contract. Um, so I don't know if the Star Wars movie. are going to be we're going to go with similarly. crushes,
0: can we talk about my crush on Thor?
1: Uh, I don't know, I'm just in a
0: weird do you, mood tonight.
2: Do you feel sympathy for poor Chris Hemsworth, who's apparently not making millions and millions of dollars off that one particular movie? I, I, my I, heart bleeds for I'd him. I'd say my
1: heart will never bleed for a guy with abs like that. Like, there's just
2: no... <laughs> I, my sympathy, my
1: my, uh, my sadness will always be limited well, for I mean, him, but... It's...
0: So, I, I, that brings up something that I wanted to, to talk about, which is that I... Uh, one of some of my happiest memories from childhood is going, we're going to Star Wars with my family. Like, honestly, movies were a big deal for me when I was growing up. We didn't have movies very regularly my kids get movies whenever they want at a push of a uh, you know a touch of So a...
2: they're not excited to go see so, Star Wars, so
0: here's the thing i bought tickets for my family to go as a surprise and i mentioned this to my my teenager sons uh, a couple of nights ago thinking oh they're going to be psyched
2: they're going to jump up and down freak out and love you more than any son has ever loved his mother.
0: <laughs> I was expecting something along those lines. Thank you for, for articulating that. And instead they're like, Mom, we don't want to go.
1: Parenthood is just O M G. long stretch of disappointment. I know, isn't right?
0: It? And they were like saying, <laughs> Mom, it's just like a Disney-owned corporate like...
1: Oh my oh God. God, you've <laughs> taught them too well. <laughs> You have totally, oh, you you created a monster.
0: I know. And I'm like, teenagers are both annoying and right. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it just made me wonder. And this is one of the reasons I, I asked to talk about it today. Like, why am I so in love with this brand, even though it's owned by Disney? It's like the most corporate thing in the world. Yes, you're right. They probably underpay their actors. They make tons of money in merchandising. And I am their target. I buy Star Wars stuff for my kids they don't even want. But like, art's, what is
1: wrong with me? Art's like always a little bit corporate, right? Like, there's always an evil publisher. Or an evil uh, publishers film are not
2: always evil. Sometimes publishers are a force for good in the world.
1: Once in a blue moon, there's like there and not, and they're the ones who don't make money. <laughs> I'm just wondering
0: what it is about this brand that is so successful that makes me want to buy things. I am not, I, I think of myself as someone who's like you know you I know, you know what
2: it is. It's because you're an old. Yeah, Gabi, you and I are old, and so we <laughs> remember. We are old enough to remember going to see the first trilogy in the cinemas. And, like, there's a whole generation of people who weren't even born when those movies came out in cinemas, and they don't have those memories. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I I don't have those memories.
0: I'm being accused of being a corporate shill. I mean, and it's right. And And it's okay. You know, here's the thing about it, and going back to money just for a second. They only spent $25 million in marketing for this film, which is a lot of money, but it's not that much money when you think about how big movies are marketed. And because they
2: get so much free. Because they it's get me. It's me. It's I'm,
0: the, I'm just like my kids are going to be so happy when I bring them.
1: Star Wars. But has they also spend itself the same way Donald Trump. But they also has spend, himself just yes, free media coverage. Exactly. But
2: they also spend twenty five million dollars on the premiere, which was completely insane. I mean, that's or something.
1: Right. They did but go that's, crazy. But that's that. what the that's what the the fan the super fans would expect. They they care more about the premiere being the. I just you are now making me pronounce things British. I just realized. <laughs> I just said premiere as if that's the way Americans are supposed to talk. Anyway, you sounded
0: really smart. When All of a sudden,
1: my IQ (laughs) IQ actually just jumped, like, three or four points. Um, But, yeah, I think that's the kind of thing the fans would actually geek out about more, is what's going on at the red carpet than, you know, people in costumes. Yeah, I don't think
2: anyone is going to go see Star Wars because, you know they saw a poster or an ad on the telly.
1: That's right.
2: That's not the reason to go see Star Wars. Well, the
0: the other thing that's funny about this opening weekend, by the way, they do project that it's possible that they will set records with the opening weekend revenue, um, ticket revenue. just possible. They opened it in all these IMAX theaters that you typically think of National Geographic documentaries being held in. This is considered almost like a scientific event. And I think of that again is because old so people. Is, is
2: that what you got? You got tickets to the IMAX version? <laughs> no, I'm
0: going to Harlem. But the point is that like old nerds, computer science professors are the exactly their target audience. <laughs> They're like, bring you and your nerd kids to see Star Trek in a museum
2: or Star Wars. Star Sorry, Wars. Star...
0: Oh my God, I did it. <laughs> you We're, did it, we, Kathy. We had a, Kathy we, was just
2: discussion. giving me grief for confusing I, the two. I actually,
0: was pretty being pretty kind, but yeah, Star Wars. <laughs>
1: <laughs> is. Um, I do. There's a part of me that wonders when literally all the movies we we are allowed to see during like the warm months of the year and even some of the cold months will just either be Marvel or Star Wars. Like these two franchises I feel like are just going to be it. The various spin-offs that come off them that that will be our entire uh cinematic diet in America pretty yeah. soon, I think, inevitably.
2: Although I feel that Star Wars is kind of sui generous. It's the only cinematic franchise with the possibility I mean I guess there's a generation of people who got really excited about Harry Potter. Mm. But, you know, I think there's something unique about Star Wars. And it's created a kind of lasting obsession, which you just don't see with any other cinematic franchise. People get excited about, you know, Batman versus Superman is coming out or something like that, but not in the same way. No,
0: my kids are much more excited about that movie. We have the conversation daily about who is a better superhero. The answer is always Batman because he doesn't have any superpowers, but he prevails anyway.
2: Anyway, but but that's that's Han Solo, right? No superpowers, but yeah. Well, that's now. what I was going
0: to say. Actually, it's like I think the reason one of the reasons I've been hoodwinked by this corporate conglomerate <laughs> is that you know it is it was the very first moment a story about the underdog and the rebels, and you you kind of feel like just a little bit rebellious. I, have
1: you seen the meme or like the? the... Just the series of articles arguing that the Jedi are basically jihadis.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it's really interesting, and obviously, you know, adults-
2: and, and and they kill like millions of people. They blow up the Death Star twice. They destroy the entire economy of the universe. Like, there's basically no good not can come good. of this.
1: They're not good guys. <laughs> we're rooting for ISIS.
2: <laughs> anyway, okay. Like, so before based we, on myth, so it's before just not we disappear down this particular rabbit hole, I'm just going to put a hard line under under Star Wars because all of you dear listeners, are going to be seeing it soon or not. Let us know if there's an angle which you want us to take. Involving more money. Involving more money. (laughs) Um, So Slate Money is sponsored this week by Casper, which, as you know, makes the best mattresses you can get. They are super high-quality mattresses, and they are not only incredibly high-quality, they are also incredibly cheap. This is all done by the magic of the internet basically they disintermediate the evil mattress markup retailers and they will sell you a mattress in a box it arrives you unpack it you have it for a hundred days during which time you can do anything you like on it and then send it back if you don't love it but you'll love it because it's great don't spend thousands of dollars on a mattress casper mattresses range from five hundred dollars for a twin, up to $950 for a king. And you know what? It's even less than that because if you go to Casper.com slash slate money, you will get $50 off. So that brings it down to $450 for a, king, for a, for a twin size mattress, $900 for a king. It's an amazing value. Do it today. Casper.com slash slate money. And with that done, I am going to move on to actual financial news. What? Ah, God. Because it's a thing. It was seven years ago, almost to the day, that the Fed cut rates for the last time because they couldn't cut them any lower. It was the zero lower bound. They cut them to zero. And then they just stayed at zero for seven years. Interest rates have never stayed anywhere for seven years, but they stayed at zero for seven years. And then finally... This was the week that they went all the way up to a massive 025 to 0.5%. And the world will never be the same again. Nope, the era is done.
0: I'm willing to bet that like most Americans, if you ask them to write that down in mathematically precise notation, wouldn't be able to do it. Because they wouldn't be able to imagine how many decimal points to the right. That is. It's so <laughs> small. 0.25%. Yeah. What could that possibly be except a symbolic gesture? I, I, I on, think it is
2: symbolic, basically. But we'll get to that. In I a was on... Um, the radio on the day that the uh, announcement happened and I was on with a woman from Redfin and who was asked whether... This is going to help savers save for a down payment <laughs> and and her answer, her answer was yes what? her answer was yes because now maybe when you put money into a savings account, it might have slightly higher interest, and that will help you get to your your down Got payment that zero point two five percent and was and I was, I was sitting there thinking to myself, yeah no if you're if you're counting on like interest on your savings account to be more than." you know, the price of a cup of coffee anytime soon. Just don't hold your breath.
1: So there's pretty fierce debate about this interest rate hike. And even though it is so small, whether or not it was a good idea to do it now, because what the Fed is Theoretically, trying to do is head off inflation sometime in the future. That's its that's its main goal. Like, that, that's theory. its mandate, mandate. Although that's
2: not necessarily the reason why they did it.
1: I I kind of take Janet Yellen at her word here. But so the idea is that
2: right... she didn't say if I didn't raise rates now, then inflation would go out of control. No, She's no. never said that.
1: No, what she has said is that they expect, even though inflation is non-existent right now, and there are a whole bunch of reasons for that, including partly oil prices, but even though inflation is just not a thing at the moment, they expect it to kind of rise up in the next two, three years um, and kind of get towards the Fed's 2% target. The Federal Reserve targets a 2% inflation rate. She has said that she wants to start raising interest rates early and gradually so that if inflation does spike up, the Fed doesn't have to suddenly then hike rates really quickly and drastically and accidentally cause like a minor recession just because they all of a sudden made a big move.
0: I, I'm going to totally disagree with you.
1: Well, this is
2: I'm saying this is her justification. I'm saying it's not really. But well, I'm, I'm gonna, saying this, is, this is explicitly what she has said. I'm
1: not disagreeing
0: that that's yeah. what they're so, talking about. But I think what's really going on, yeah. first of all, is that in, first of all, inflation is not we're not at risk of a high inflation right now at all. And we could talk about why. But really what's going on, in my opinion, is just a vote for the American economy. This is like us saying, you know, when you lower rates in bad times, well, we're, not, we're raising rates right now.
2: Yeah. And, and it's and good times. It, that means it's good times. My, my, my phrase is reversion to normal. That when you have zero rates, that's a clear sign to the world that your economy is pathological. And... What Janet Yellen is basically saying here is we do not have a pathological economy anymore. We should have some semblance of normality. And so what she's going to do is have non-zero interest rates. This isn't a kind of we need to hike rates because of our inflation mandate thing at all, really. This is we need to stop behaving as though the economy is pathologically bad because really it isn't. And we want to stop all of the unintended consequences which result from... Zero interest rates, and now is not a bad time to do that there's no particular, there's no good time to raise rates particularly, but if you waited any longer, then the various pathologies which result from zero interest rates could would just get worse so let 's just hike rates now when the world can cope, and then we'll be fine. And I just want to clarify for everyone: when you say pathologies,
1: you're talking mostly about investors going in and searching for yield, looking for riskier places to put their money so that they can get some kind of return, right? Or you said no. I'm saying, well, there were two
2: different there were two different pathologies I'm talking about. The first pathology is like the American economy is so is in such a deep and unprecedented recession that we need to cut rates all the way to zero in order to yeah. stop it from just falling into a black hole. That's that's the first big pathology which the Fed more or less successfully managed to navigate, right? They were like, the real economy is bad, and we're going to do everything in our power to prevent it from getting worse. Yeah, That's the first pathology, but then... There's a kind of second order pathology, which is once interest rates are at zero, the zero interest rates cause what you're talking about, which is a bunch of dislocations in financial markets which are not healthy. And you want to get away from that.
1: And and Yellen is also, she's nodded to that. She has said that there's, you know, she has some concerns about what Wall Street will do if left to its own devices in a zero interest rate world. I will say, I kind of nodded to the controversy. There are a lot of people who think now is still a bad time, mostly because we are not at full employment. That's what it comes down to, and and they, and it comes back to. I think the people who argue about that are, are mostly taking the Fed at sort of their face uh, at face value, and say, when they say we're worried about future inflation, and saying, well, we are still even at, even if it's a five percent unemployment rate, which sounds good, we still have so many people who are out of the labor force or marginally attached. There's a lot more room for the for things to improve. Why start now? So
2: this is this is the I mean the the foremost opponent of raising interest rates right now. Larry um, is Larry, the Larry. guy who got who Janet beat for you know, Fed Larry summers for summers. Everyone, They're just in case, and, in case um, we, we, we just to, call him Larry. As I was gonna say, do we, just,
1: do we have a policy now of just calling him Larry on the show? I feel like sure, let's do it. You know, yeah, just, he's just Larry, so, now.
2: but so Larry loves second guessing the Fed because he didn't get to be Fed chair and he's all sad face about that. And he wrote a big long piece on wonk blog about why the Fed, you know on the one hand, yes, they should raise rates because they need credibility. Credibility is incredibly important. And they've signaled the rate hike so clearly that it would destroy their credibility not to raise rates. But he was like, but substantively, it's the wrong move, they should keep rates low, because blah, 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 more or less what Jordan was saying. But what he never quite said, because it's kind of not true, is this idea that if you raise rates by a quarter point to 0.35% or whatever they are today... That that's going to have any kind of measurable deleterious effect on employment or availability of credit or anything else? Of course, it's not. Yeah.
1: Well, I think part yeah. of, I, one thing you do have to realize is that I, I think at this point, summer Larry, excuse me, not Summers <laughs> Larry, um, would like the Fed to get back into sort of unconventional territory, uh, kind of try other tricks to basically lower interest rates even further below zero, like effectively. He's there is this debate about what, this kid's kind of Talmudic in a way, but about what model of the economy we should be using right now. Are we in a normal economy, which or like a, a standard economic model, does that hold up? And that's what the Fed thinks. It says, yeah, standard economics still hold. And then you have Larry, who who kind of argues this idea called secular stagnation, um, and it's complicated, and we could probably do a whole episode about it, but basically says that you know, in order for business to get back on its feet, you need to keep interest rates far, far lower than anyone's talking about. So right I, now.
0: I actually think they should raise the rates, and I'll I'll say my thing, um, and it, it's very consistent with what you guys are saying. I, first of all, I don't think that normal economic, old fashioned economic theory is holding right now and we've talked about this before because I don't think the money's getting to the masses but the thing the fact is that if we have 0% as the new normal then all sorts of things happen and we we keep on putting along waiting for the economy to be perfect and it's not perfect then what if another crisis happens we can't lower rates from there we can't lower rates from zero so for just the sole reason that we need to raise rates so that we if there is a crisis that we need to be able to lower them again that's one of the reasons well, we
1: should lo- we should Ye- raise them. Yellen has talked about actually going to negative she she gesture during this last uh, press conference towards the idea of maybe going to uh, negative interest rates like they've done in Europe in the future if they have to. Which And if
2: you actually look at the dot plots from when Narayana Koch Lakota was, <laughs> was on the Fed you know was was on the Federal Reserve Board he, you know, everyone knows it was him. When people were forecasting where interest rates would be in the future, he was the guy saying, "Hey, I think they're going to be negative." He was I-, I would like, love to see. I would
0: love to see that kind of new tool used by the Fed. But it, what I want to talk about now is like what you know. There was a great article in the, in the New York Times, I think an Upshot article, about like the lost opportunities um, in oh, developing infrastructure. So many. with a zero, uh, with a zero interest rate. Like we didn't actually. Like why didn't municipalities borrow a bunch of money and build bridges that they need to br- build to replace? Well, the I think bridges? I
2: mean, and we're gonna we're gonna use that actually as a segue. Okay, that's it for Janet Quay, Janet. Slate Money is also sponsored by Citrix GoToWebinar. So it does what it says on the tin. You go to go and you can do a webinar on everything. So if you want to inflict a webinar on anyone at all, go to is the best way to do it. You can put interactive polls in there, live chats, you can respond to feedback, you can see exactly who came to your webinar, what they thought that you give you performance metrics if you're into webinars and you know there are people who are into webinars then go to webinar is the best way to webinar so go to go to webinar.com free trial 30 days let's go to webinar.com but i want to keep on this topic of who borrowed money and how much and what i want to and and it's a fascinating topic because Most corporations did exactly what you said they should do, which was take advantage of these zero interest rates to load up on as much cheap debt as they possibly could. And there was this huge boom in debt issuance in general, and particular in what's known as junk bonds or high yield bonds, which are, you know, the riskiest type of debt. Everyone was buying it. And now we're reverting to normal. And Jordan, what's happened?
1: Well, people have been kind of looking for a crash in junk bonds, which, again, they're just bonds issued by companies with poor credit ratings, essentially. And so they have higher interest rates. You can get a bigger return if you invest in them. Um, and in the past few weeks, and really it's, it's been slowly gathering steam for a few months, but uh, in the past couple of weeks, they've crashed. Prices of junk bonds have gone through the floor. There was last week a mutual fund, uh, Third Avenue, that was heavily, heavily invested in uh, some sort of unique junk bonds, let's say, had to liquidate and stop withdrawals and basically go bust. You had a lot of people wondering if this was kind of the beginning of another crisis of some kind. But in the last few days, it seems like at least those tremors of crisis or that the sense of crisis is abated. It,
2: I, I don't think it's abated. You I, don't, think, you think I think it's it, I think it's real. And okay. this reminds me very much of 2007. I'm not really? saying yeah. that the repercussions are going to be as big as they were in two thousand eight. I'm not saying that we're going to start having, you know, banks go bust. I I don't think we are, because I don't think banks have that kind of exposure. And certainly the amount of junk bonds is nowhere near the amount of mortgage bonds in two thousand seven. But what I'm seeing here is a bunch of overexposed creditors who have lent a bunch of money to a bunch of Entities which are never going to be able to pay it back. Yeah. Foremost among them, oil and gas companies. Yeah. Can we
0: can we just back up for the listeners? Um, yeah, sure. Make it sh- super clear what we think the connection is between the Fed changing the interest rate and um, the junk market. If we think there is a connection, so, and what it is,
1: I've talked to people about this, and not everyone's certain that there is that much of a, a connection. But when the Fed raises interest rates, that means that you can get a higher return on a short, unlike. Essentially, you're going to be able to get a higher return on a short-term treasury bond, right? So let's say you owned a junk bond before that had a certain interest rate it was paying. Suddenly, it might look like a good idea to sell off that junk bond and buy up a short-term treasury bond with a slightly higher rate. And so some people, not this probably isn't the big issue that is causing the sell-off. In fact, it's almost certainly not the biggest issue by any means. However, uh, the Fed tightening has probably put pressure on the junk bond market. Let
0: me, let me suggest another reason that okay. there's a connection, which is that when shitty borrowers um, needed to extend their loans because they weren't paying it back, it was easy for easier for them to do it in a 0% yeah. interest rate. A scenario. And now it actually costs them something. And, and in the there future, two it will other... cost them
1: more as rates go up because exactly. it's the beginning of tightening. So exactly. in the people realize it's going to get tougher and tougher right. for these companies.
2: There, there are two other big reasons. Uh, probably the single biggest reason, as I hinted, is the low oil price, yeah. which has destroyed the economics of a lot of these junk bond issuers. When people talk about junk bonds crashing, it's true. Junk bonds are crashing, but overwhelmingly the ones which are really doing badly are the ones in the yeah. Oil and gas sector. So that's idiosyncratic. And that's because the companies with themselves the oil are in price. trouble. Yes. yes, exactly. And then the other thing, though, which I think is more credibly connected to the rate hike, is that everyone was talking about interest rates this week because everyone, like, this is the week that rates go up. And what that meant was that a bunch of normal individual investors, not the smart marginal price setters, but just the schlubs like you and me, were aware of like rates going up. And the one thing that people know, if they're in- individual investors, is that, you know, the invest correlation between price and yield, right? If rates go up, prices go down. And they're like, oh, rates went up today, they're going to go up f- another four times next year, there's rate hikes, as far as the eye can see, what happens when rates go up, his bonds go down, I should sell my bonds by which and what that means is they sell things like HYG and JNK, which are these ETFs, these exchange traded funds, which are traded on the stock exchange, weirdly enough, but which invest in junk bonds. And these junk bond ETFs and bond ETFs in general, emerging market bond funds, um, you know, credit funds of all types have seen Billions and billions of dollars in outflows in the past week or two um, from people just basically you know, rotating out of fixed income, and that's having an effect on the underlying it, securities. This is
1: a little bit tangential, but I'm really curious to hear your opinion on it. Which is what's your take on these junk bond ETFs? Like, are they a force for good, force for evil? The fact yeah, that, you love ETFs. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, but they so they make it really easy for a retail investor essentially to buy junk bonds, which is something that before it was not easy to do. So, um, which is kind of it's a high risk play. I'm wondering if you what you and think I about do them, think so. that's
2: part of the reason why junk bonds rose so much during the boom was precisely because there was this whole new investor base being able to buy into them through through the through the ETFs. And now that trade is unwinding and it's, it's bad for the asset class. You know, I mean, junk bonds are highly risky instruments. They're highly risky instruments if you buy them. They're highly ris- risky instruments if you buy a fund which buys them. Yeah. So no one is ever going to pretend that junk bond ETFs are like, safe investments or even like a good idea for any normal person to do. and But the stock market is full of stupid investments. You know, most stocks and most ETFs are stupid investments. So there's this is no different from any other stock or any so, other ETF, really.
0: So I, I like that. I think you're right that just because of the way people like to pull out of asset classes if they think it's going down the prices are going to go down. But I really enjoyed hearing, or I thought it was an interesting remark that somebody mentioned in the news this week that look, at, if you look at Japan, that, which is where the, it, like zero interest rates are the normal, they have been normal for a long time. One of the side effects of that is that zombie companies can just continue to exist. They do not get pushed out of of existence. And so one of the things oh, that we can expect keep rolling is,
2: over their debt for they, cheap. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And also over because debt. Japan is a little bit like- Belgium and Germany in the retail investors, meaning a mom and pop generally buy bonds rather than stocks. In America, everyone puts their money in the stock market. In Japan, you're much more likely to buy bonds. And so it's that much easier for companies to roll over their debt because they can sell those bonds, you know, they can distribute those bonds directly to individuals in a way that almost never happens outside the muni market in the US.
0: Right. So so all I'm I'm trying to say is that, of course, the oil and gas industries are in trouble, but there's going to be all sorts of other companies that just are suddenly exposed to be actually in trouble when we didn't know that in advance. And
1: I will say, you know, Felix, you're totally right that this is the most of the trouble so far has been in oil and gas, especially when it comes to actual defaults. The entire increase in defaults over the past year in junk-rated companies has been from oil and gas, for instance. However, one of the things that had a few people frightened was spreads, basically, Uh, a measure of how much shit these companies are in, let's put it shorthanded that way, We're widening for non-oil and gas companies too at the very lowest levels of credit rating. The
2: spreads are widening across the entire credit spectrum for pretty much everyone. And part of the problem is that there's just correlations everywhere. And again, this is something which reminds us of 2007, 2008, the asset classes become correlated when if you lose money on an oil-gas junk bond, then you're gonna have to liquidate something else. A junk bond fund, for instance, or any bond fund, if it gets redemptions, has to sell everything it owns, not just the bad things. And remember too, this is, you know, an important part of all this, Puerto Rico is a massive, massive bankruptcy. It's gonna and is causing losses all over the place, which aren't necessarily visible right now. But, you know, people are having to sell things off as a result.
1: So just to clarify that, so a fund that owns a lot of Puerto Rico's debt and a lot of junk bonds is going to take losses on Puerto Rico's debt and then find itself selling everything it owns to, cover, to
2: and, cover withdrawals. And there aren't that many people, fund, individual funds which own both, but it's the same investors. It's the people who have been reaching for okay, yield, have been reaching for junk bonds and Puerto Rico and anything with like excess yield. And that trade is looking pretty silly right now. I and see. by
0: the way, ETFs, as much as we love them at Slate Money, do add to this correlation problem because it makes it easier for even more people to go in on the same trades and to pull out in the same trades at the same time.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so we're going to go straight to the numbers round. Jordan, number? I, I insist
0: numbers? that Jordan go first. Yeah, first. I insist that Jordan go first. They,
2: I think So I'm wearing a hoodie right
1: now uh, with the hood pulled up, and I think that that's probably tipped... Off my podcast. Notes.
2: Oh no, not another bloody Shkreli number.
1: So my number it has is seven.
0: I I was like, if he doesn't do it, I'm going to do it. Yeah. So <laughs> the num-
1: my number seven, which is the number of felony counts that Mar- Martin Shkreli is now facing. You remember Martin? He's the Turing Pharmaceuticals uh, CEO who uh, bought up a you know drug for a rare disease and then hiked up the price radically, thus gouging AIDS and cancer patients, um, or at least their insurance companies and hospitals that treat them. Uh, he is now facing securities fraud charges uh, related to his days in hedge fund world. And I, I wrote a piece um, last night, kind of doing a blow-by-blow of what
2: exactly he did that got him in shit. And But it involves everybody's favorite thing, which is naked shorting. If you've never... I uh-huh. understood what naked yeah, shorting is. Uh, he, he
1: was naked shorting and we'll just it leave seemed, it at that. He did na- he did naked <laughs> short at one point. I debated whether to get into that in the piece specifically, but I just I I didn't have the heart. Um for but like I'm just he, so thankful he, so, to here's the thing. Myself. He Basically was running a Ponzi scheme. Here I'm going to give a, a a real he ha- his first hedge fund blew up on a really bad trade. He then lied to a bunch of investors about his background about the amount of money he was managing in a second hedge fund to get more money to start from scratch. That hedge fund blew up again. So rather than finally just going and finding a new career, what does he do? He starts another hedge fund, lies to investors to get more money from them, uses the money from that, and meanwhile doesn't tell his old investors that they have no money left, that their investment is gone. Gives them these fake updates about how how well their, their money is doing, how many returns they're getting. And then with that new hedge fund, he takes that and funnels the money directly into a company he was starting. And then at a very, and then this is the amazing thing. The company works out. The company does really well. Yeah, the company does really well. But in the meantime, he has all these pissed off investors who he has to pay back. And so he tries to use money from the new company, Retrofin, which is where he started the whole like jacking up drug prices idea. Uh, he st- tries to use money to pay them off in all sorts of kind of scuzzy ways. Time's a and charm, he gets man. caught. Well, no, because the problem is he was too successful because Retrofin went public. And so they had an auditor and they had a board and they were like, you can't do what you were doing. They eventually booted him and fired him, allegedly. You know, he says this is all totally bullshit. But they booted him and fired him. And he was like, this is preposterous. And then the DOJ looked at all this and was like, this is not preposterous. You were committing crimes. And so now he's in jail. I just want
0: to say I'm thankful to Screlly because he actually um, pushed out Trump for one day from the news. For
2: (laughs) for exactly one day. Thank you, Martin Screlly. Okay, (laughs) Kathy, what is your number? My number
0: is $380 million. Hit three hundred eighty million, and it's the number of dollars that Elon Musk made on Solar City um, after Congress announced that they're going to extend for five more years the tax breaks for solar and wind energy. So he owns a twenty-two um, percent stake in Solar City, and it went up thirty-four percent right after the announcement. Damn! And it's good news uh, for people who believe in uh, climate change, which yeah, is a uh, lot of people.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. There, this budget deal was actually like a huge thing that just totally got. And, like, I didn't help. I was writing about other stuff like Shkreli instead of the massively important budget deal.
2: But like, Wait, budget deal or climate deal? A budget deal. It's
1: a budget deal with, oh, okay. with tax breaks. For-
2: I, I thought we were, no, never mind that huge – you know, climate conference in Paris, oh, which actually that. really no, was no. a huge <laughs> thing, <It's,
0: laughs> which but, we didn't talk
1: about. Yeah, but we no, also didn't talk about. Yeah, I know, because Um but and Star Wars. But seriously, this is, like Congress pa- is passing a budget with things like these tax breaks getting. It's a extended. big deal. Yeah, uh, Paul Ryan managed, and I think being distracted, honestly, having everyone distracted by Donald Trump, like, really helps. I think that <laughs> Washington functions best when no one's watching, which is kind of. Thank you, this is, this Trump. is
2: exactly my theory about financial regulation. This is why Basel Three is more effective than Dodd-Frank. It's because everyone cared about Dodd-Frank and no one was paying attention to Basel III yeah. and Basel III is where all the good stuff happens. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, uh, um,
0: I don't so even know about well, Basel III. I actually think
1: And
2: Dodd-Frank passed in part
1: because people were paying attention to other things too when they were working on it. So was, it's
2: a
0: theory. I think there's a book here. <laughs>
2: um, my number is 2.85 billion. We, we've just spent a whole segment basically talking about how anyone who invested in oil and gas has lost their shirts. So there's this guy called Kirill Shamalov. And in 2014, last year, he borrowed $1.3 billion at an interest rate of 1.3% because he was obviously incredibly creditworthy, and put it all into an oil company called Sibur. Oh my God. And that $1.3 billion today is worth Two point eight five billion dollars. What? Somehow he has more than doubled his money, which he never had because he was didn't have any money to begin with. Oh wait, did I mention he's Vladimir Putin's son-in-law?
1: <gasps>
0: oh, oh. <laughs> that's incredible.
2: <laughs> ah, I see. Yes,
0: special a guy.
1: Like a special Man, guy. I would love a reality show just like Life with the Putins. Like how awesome!
0: <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Is that what we already have?
2: Do <laughs> we? On which note, we will bring this episode of Slate Money to a close. Thank you very much for listening. Subscribe to us by searching for Slate Money in the iTunes store. Leave us a review. Write to us the email. As ever is Slate.com. Uh, many thanks to our producer, Zach Dynasteen, to the executive producer, Andy Bowers, and to everyone in the Panoply Network, which can be found at iTunes.com. Slash panoply, and we'll talk to you next week. May the force be with you. Slate money. May the force be with you. Live long and prosper. Whoa.
1: (laughs) Whoa. Whoa. (laughs) Violation.
2: Hey, this is Gabriel Roth, and I'm the host of the Slate Serial Spoiler Special, a podcast that accompanies the second season of Serial, which debuted this week. Every week, Slate writer Katie Waldman and I will dig into the latest episode, parsing the latest developments, clues, hints, and ideas, hopefully getting us a little closer to the truth behind the case of Bo Bergdahl. So join us every week after Serial. Step into the world of power, loyalty,